But y'all didn't know that Gordon Ramsay himself right here would be joining you this morning. We're going to be making some food. Anybody hungry this morning? How many of you guys like brownies? Anybody like brownies? Brownies are actually one of my uh, wife's favorite things, the good fudge chocolate kind. And have you guys ever tried to make the perfect brownie? Y'all try, you know what I'm saying? Like for some of us, that means like it has to be a little bit like, it has to still be warm and gooey when you eat it. You know what I'm saying, right? And that means for some of us, we, we start out with like scratch, cocoa and maybe some sugar and vanilla. I don't even know what you actually use to do scratch because I just use this. I don't know, maybe some of us are really good at cooking. Definitely not this guy. But here's what I do know. I know that in order to make a brownie, you take this, and this is what you do. You just go like this. I'm good at this part. You know, you dump that in. You throw that away. And most of us do this thing called measuring. Ain't nobody got time for that. You add. That might be good. You take one of these bad boys. Please don't get on the iPad. You throw that in there. Go in there. Laundry. Um, I got it on the iPad. And then, you, you know, you, you add all that stuff, right? And that's what I said. Oh, you need water, too, you know? It's still good. I think this is my water bottle from last week. Or it's Josh's. It's one of ours. I don't need this anymore. And so you, you take all that stuff, and then, you know, you start to mix it up and... Most of us use the right utensils of like, I think this goes better with like a whisk or something or like one of those hand blender things. And you mix it all up and you get going. And my goal though for the perfect brownies is not only that they would look good, but that they would taste somewhat good too. You know, and like for sometimes you add extra stuff in it. Like, have you guys ever made the brownies and you start to add extra chocolate chips to it? You know, or, or you start to add some like, good like chocolate syrup or like chocolate chunks or some of those Reese cups. Woo! Now we're talking. Uh, and, and so it, it looks really good. And, and you can see, like, I don't want to dump this on the floor, uh, but it's this great gooey chocolate brownie mix. And my guess is, is that some of us, like when we make chocolate brownies at home, I got these two little kids, and they love licking the spoon. Anybody else? You know what I mean? And growing up, I remember my mom would even, like, when she would make stuff, she'd use the, you know, hand mixer blender, and we'd, we'd be able to lick the, what are those things called? You know what I'm talking about? The beaters. And she would actually unplug the thing for me, so I didn't get my tongue caught, too. It was really nice. And, but, but, like, I love doing that. I love making some food, and when you make brownies, you want them to be not only taste good, but appealing to the eye, too, right? So when somebody walks in, they see these gorgeous brownies, you're like, man, yeah, I made that. Look how good they look. But what if, what if we take a moment, and we start to ask ourselves of like, what if this is a similar thing that we look at the church as? You see, we have all the right ingredients as the church of how to live. God has given us the, the recipe. He's given us the right ingredients, and all we have to do is follow it, right? It's pretty simple. But what if there's things that we start to do that naturally make the way into the brownie mix that maybe weren't designed to be there, but they look okay? 
And I think that this is a similar way that we're going to talk about Thyre Tire today. We're going to look at Thyre Tire as the brownie mix and, and the Capital City Church as the brownie mix. Sound good? As long as we're all on the same page. Deal? Cool. We're going to be interactive today too. I still have more raw eggs. So y'all think, okay. So we're going to be, inter- so the, third, the church in Thyre Tire, we get introduced to the church at the end of Revelation 2. We've been diving into Revelation. In Revelation 2, we get introduced to this church. And here's what we should know. The church in Thyatira is, um, is actually one of the smallest churches, but it is the longest letter that is written to it. This is the longest letter in, th- in chapter 2 written to the smallest church. And upon that is, is Thyatira would have been this manufacturing city. It would have been a city that would be similar to, say, uh, Detroit or a Pittsburgh. They manufacture a lot of stuff. This church specifically was well known for metalworking. It was also known for some pottery, leatherwork, all of that good stuff. It's a headquarters, headquarters for ancient trade guilds ancient trade guilds. And what these trade guilds would be is essentially a co-op for buying and selling and trading merchandise, but it's also a, a, a headquarters for cultural worship, worshiping gods. And these trade guilds would be divided by your industry. So there would be a trade guild for pottery making. There'd be a trade guild for leather working. There'd be a trade guild for, um, you know, like producing certain stuff. There would be a trade guild for all these different trades and industries. We're following so far, right? And upon that, there's, there's a prominent God in Thyatira that was worshipped. Apollo, the son of of Zeus. And if you remember Greek mythology, Zeus is God of God, like the father gods. That was their mythology mindset. So Apollo being the son of God had this, this coin with his image on it that literally said the son of God. We know somebody else who has claimed that title rightfully, by the way, right? And it starts out, take a look, Revelation 2. This is Jesus speaking to John to write this letter. And so these are the red letter words. That means they're very important in the Bible, okay? And this is what he says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God. Remember, he's claiming this divine title. He is the rightful owner of this title, the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire. We remember this vision that John had in Revelation 1, showing who Jesus is and what Jesus looks like. Flames of fire as eyes. Feet are like polished bronze. And this is what he says. I know all the things you do, and I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Jesus is saying, like, I see what you are doing, and I commend you for it. I give you a clapping, standing ovation. Well done. But he continues on. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. 
She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on the bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Oh, then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. I will give to each of you whatever you desire. So, so we, we read a little bit more than what I originally thought, which is great. We'll, we'll dive right into it. His introduction is the Son of God, divine title, right? And we describe his eyes as flames of fire, and his feet are like polished bronze. This is the emphasis of his deity, his divine nature, Eyes that penetrate through things. This is too short for even a short guy, guys. Eyes that will penetrate through things. Purity as brass is refined in the fire. And it's a steadfastness. It's firm. He stands firm and strong with these feet. And it's also a connection that these people would understand. Connection to Apollo and the false claim that he uses. But also to money. And also manufacturing we can see how Jesus and John pick and choose their words very carefully to identify with the audience. And he commends them, right? He commends them of their deeds, their love. He commends them of their love for others. In contrast to Ephesus, remember our earlier church where Jesus says, like, you have lost and left your love. You have left your first love. He commands and commends them for the love that they have for people. He commends them for their faith, their service, their perseverance. They're doing more. They're improving constantly. Well done. But then it comes to the moment where he has this complaint. In the King James Version, it says, you are permitting, but they use the word tolerating. You are tolerating that woman Jezebel in all that she does. And it says that she calls herself a prophet prophet. Now, there's, there's a little bit of a debate of, is this an actual person in Revelation? A person, a lady named Jezebel? There's a debate of, yes, it is, or it's just a, um, a reference back to the Old Testament Jezebel woman that we know existed. Either way, either way, we understand that back in those days, if you had a daughter you would know of the Old Testament Jezebel and you would not name your daughter Jezebel because of her track record, because of what it represents. And this prophetess Jezebel, okay, uh, she wasn't really someone who the church supported, but she made her way into the church in Thyatira. And they started to receive her teachings as truth. So they started to receive her her teachings and her corruptness as, as truth as she would teach and lead people. She claimed she was a prophet, remember. And they started to believe in, in that. And we have to understand that when Jesus says like, you are letting this Jezebel into your church, Jesus talked about this when he was still here on the earth. He prophesied about it in Matthew 24, where he said like, and false teachers will come and lead my people astray. This is the fruition of that. This is coming true. Jesus foresaw and could see what was going to happen, and he warned the church. And it said that she leads people to do certain things, sexual immorality, and eat foods sacrificed to idols. And we have to understand something. 
we have to understand that God's people were called to stay away from, stay away from eating the meat sacrificed to idols, and also to stay away from the immorality that she leads them into. It was pretty simple. They were, they were supposed to stay away from the sexual immorality, the food offered to idols. They were supposed to stay away from strangled animals and animals of the blood. Remember, though, that these trade guilds, these industries that they were a part of, and here's what would happen. They'd go to these parties with the trade guilds, and they would offer a sacrifice to a pagan god, a god that was represented by the trade guild. Okay? And as part of that, they would get together for a feast. They'd worship the god. Then they would eat the sacrificed meat. Essentially, these parties turned into like frat parties. You can almost picture what that looks like, right? The absolute chaos of what it would be. But here's what we have to understand is these trade guilds were not only these worship moments, but they were also your network, your community. And in some ways, they, they were tainting their faith. Christians were tainting their faith to further their business practices, Christians were tainting their faith. They were tolerating certain stuff and allowing it into the church so that they could further their business, further their profit, further their network. And Jezebel most likely represented the head of the trade guilds. They'd gather for a meal and they'd offer these sacrifices. They'd go. Christians would go to these meetings and they'd partake in things knowing that it went against what God has spoken and against his bride, the church. And here's a reality that we have to understand. Participating in an idol feast is never a neutral act, but neither is tolerating it. Participating is never a neutral act, but neither is tolerating it. It's this idea of be in the world, but not of the world. And they struggled to remain loyal. They struggled to remain pure to God. They would permit, they would tolerate, they would allow, and they would partake in the immoral sexual acts and also the sacrificing and the eating of the meat. It started to find its way into the church. But here's the reality the church looked good. From the outside, the church looked good. It looked appealing. Numbers were well. Attendance was up and to the right. Giving still seemed to do pretty well. The church looked good. So if the church was doing good, why was it an issue? And much like today, there's certain stuff that sells a product more than other stuff. It's a three-letter word. Sex sells. Church was growing. It looked good. So what's the harm? Essentially, there's this mindset. There's a mindset that said you could worship both Yahweh and you could worship Baal. You could worship Yahweh and Apollo. This mindset that you could worship Caesar and Yahweh. 
both hands. But, but what if this is not a both hand situation? What if this is an either or situation? Because you cannot worship both God and your money. You cannot worship both God and your job. You cannot worship both God and politics. You cannot worship both God and materials. You cannot worship both God and idols. You cannot, we cannot worship both God and fill in the blank. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. The human heart has the capacity for only one all-encompassing, all-embracing allegiance. I think most of us can identify with that, that there's been maybe times where our internal heart even has been torn of what we worship. There might have been moments in our lives where maybe we felt this urge to worship money and chase after that rather than being true and loyal to God. We felt this tension to worship a false idol, a false idol of material things, a false idol of idols, whatever it might be. But there's a reality that we cannot worship both God and. And this church, this church was doing a great job of compartmentalizing their faith. They were maintaining this illusion of both hands. I can be holy on Sunday. I can worship God. I can raise my hands. I can clap on beat maybe. I can jump for joy. I can worship God on Sunday. But on Monday, I will allow the poison of the world and culture to pour into my body. On Monday, I will allow the, the poison into my head, into my heart, into my soul because it's fun or maybe because it's entertaining or maybe because it's pleasurable or enjoyable. I mean, ultimately, they were in some ways saying, well, you know, I'm worshiping God on Sunday, but this is also my body and these are my decisions to make of what I worship and who I worship and what I allow. It's, it's my choice. Let me be about me. And this is dangerous. This is dangerous because the thinking that because I have certain desires, because I have certain desires in me, they must be right. Otherwise, why would I have them? Essentially what they were saying, this mentality was this, this urge and this idea that, well, because I have certain desires, whether it be sexually or addiction-wise or you know, certain other things, whatever it is, I have this desire. So it must be right. It must be okay. Because if I have this desire, it must be from God, right? But this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Because when we start to not only allow and, and permit these desires and act upon them, and as a church specifically, as the church specifically, when they started to tolerate and permit and allowing their lives to be tainted by Jezebel, we see destruction start to happen. And here's why. Tolerating sexual sin means committing spiritual adultery. Y'all didn't know you were coming to church to talk about this this morning. 
But I did. And tolerating this means spiritual adultery. Sexual immorality defiles inward purity. Now, eating meat, sacrifice to idols, defiles outward purity. But tolerating the sexual immorality defiles your inward spiritual purity. And the culture was tolerating it. They were permitting it. Why? Why? It's pretty simple. They wanted to appeal to the culture. They wanted people to come. So if we allow this, if we tolerate this, if we accept it, and we don't take a stand, that means that people will come because it's accepted. But acceptance of this leads to failing to call sin a sin. And when we fail to call sin a sin, it means that we choose to forsake absolute truth, absolute truth, biblical truth, for relativism. And when we do that, we fail to stand on truth. When we fail to stand on truth, we start walking down a road of spiritual death. Tertullian, an ancient Christian, ancient Christian, talks about this church in Thyatira. And when he talks about the trade guilds and what's happening, this is what he says about it. He says, a painter might find work in a pagan temple. Or maybe a sculptor might be hired to make a statue of a certain pagan god. And they would justify this by saying, well, this is my living. This is my living and I must live. But I love his response. Because his response to that of, well, this is my living and I must live. His response is so simple. But must you live? Must you live? Here's the reality. When we allow our commitment to Jesus to be corrupted or compromised, it is spiritual adultery. But spiritual adultery leads to spiritual sickness. And spiritual sickness eventually leads to spiritual death. This is a slippery slope. And if we're just going to call a spade a spade, if we're just going to be real for maybe just a moment, the, the church in today's world is struggling with this as well. We're struggling with this. And it's very clear what God, what Jesus has instructed us. It's very clear what he has told us. And we're walking down a slippery slope. And this is tough. This is tough. You, you remember that when Jesus talked about the church, he often referenced her as his what? His bride. A beautiful bride. Marriage. She's becoming tainted, impure, immoral. She's accepting and putting stuff into her that was never designed to be in her. Alex Seeley is the pastor down, one of the pastors down at a church called the Belonging Co. And she puts it this way, and, and this is a dynamic, dynamic thing. And this is what she says. And I think we see it playing out today of what one generation tolerates, the next embraces. Woo! That's like mic drop, let it hang. 
what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Family, is this not what we are understanding and struggling with in today's world and culture? What one generation has tolerated, the next generation will embrace. It's essentially like, what are we tolerating? We have this perfect recipe. It's going to look really good. This is a salted caramel one. It's going to be really good. What are we tolerating though? And here's what it looks like. Let me, let me show you what this looks like, guys. It looks like this. It looks like we begin to start tolerating. Some certain addictions. We begin to tolerate this addiction and it's, and it's okay because after all, like once we add it in here and we just, it, it gets mixed in, like it's okay. It's there, but it's okay because our church still looks good. But don't worry, don't worry. Like we can tolerate the addictions in our lives. Not a big deal. And then there's those other relationships you know that relationship outside your marriage? That one where you hide your phone from your spouse because you don't want them to see who you're texting or maybe what you're saying to them? Oh, that's like the nasty stuff too that comes, right? <laughs> and then even it, that relationship gets shook up a little bit and it progresses. And then there's that moment where like, oh yeah, it's in there. But it's okay, it's okay. Like, just come to church. We still will allow it. It's not a big deal. Like, even though everybody knows you're doing it, nobody's going to say anything. I want you to feel okay and accepted here. But what about like that certain lifestyle that you know is just a little bit like, ooh, that's a little spicy. I shouldn't be doing that. It's okay. Keep coming. Like, not a big deal. Nobody's going to say anything. We just want you to keep coming. We want to keep growing. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Remember, you can come to church on Sunday. Just let Monday happen. Don't worry about your Wednesday. You don't really need to worship Jesus on Wednesday, right? Sunday's good enough. Let me just check that box. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Don't worry. Remember, nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to say anything. It's all good. It's all good. But one of the biggest things in Thyatira, one of the biggest things in Thyatira was not just the addictions, but their sexual immorality. There's a certain sin that was going on that really was impactful for them. They're exploring different sexualities and permitting it and tolerating it. And it's okay because, like, it looks okay, and it, by itself it might taste okay. This is, um, <laughs> this is mint-flavored Dolkalax. Mint sounds okay. Hold up, hold up. Mint sounds okay when you, like, I like York peppermint patties, y'all. It's cool. Mint chocolate, like it's, don't worry, it's fine. 
It's fine. We're going to tolerate it. It still looks, say it with me, it still looks okay. Everything looks okay. Everything looks okay. It's still chocolate brownies, guys. It's still okay. We're tolerating it. We're accepting it. It's okay. But once was never accepted in the church. Wrongful addictions, it was called out. Wrongful relationships, you were held accountable. Worshiping God on certain days of the week, never. Like, what once was never accepted in the church has now become tolerated and mixed in and taught because it's okay. It's still chocolate brownies. We're okay. It's still okay. It's been embraced now. Been embraced. What was once never tolerated, never allowed, has now been mixed directly into this. This is what the church was facing. Tolerance of these things was essentially equated to love. Tolerance of these things was equated to love. But never have we been called to tolerate. We've never been called to tolerate. We've been called to love as he loves. We've been called to love deeply and madly as he has loved. And he gives us an example. Jesus gives us an example. In verse 21, he says that I've given her a time to repent. A time to repent. Here's the reality. Jesus gives her time. What does that mean? Jesus gives her mercy. He doesn't just come and just throws the hammer immediately. I'm giving her time to repent. That's love, fam. That's love. He's given her mercy and time to repent. But if you do not repent, there's certain judgment that comes. Outside the church, it looks great. Doing the right things, everything looks solid. It's still chocolate brownies. But internally, they're compromised and corrupt. Compromised and corrupt. And when we stop tolerating and we start rebuking and repenting and we turn back to God, this tolerance has no power over Christians anymore. And this is how he ends it. Jesus is, is faithful. He gives it with hope. Listen to what he has to say, 24 through 29. I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Some of them would call it deeper truths. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. And to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I receive from my Father. And I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what is being said to the churches. Those who are not corrupted, those who are not tainted, he instructs them to hold fast till he comes. We can recite the creeds, guys. We can sing the right songs on Sunday, but the real proof of what we believe and how we live and if we follow Jesus Christ is what we do Monday through Saturday. I can check the box on Sunday morning. I'm good at that. But how I live Monday through Saturday, that really proves where my heart lies. He says, those who overcome, 
Jesus uses this term in all seven letters, those who overcome. And overcomers are those who are willing to, to lose. Overcomers are those who are willing to be left out, willing to be rejected by the culture. Overcomers are the ones that end up reigning with the Son of God in the end. Those who hold true, who are not tainted, who do not tolerate this and allow this into them, those are the ones that will receive him. Every day you have to choose. It's not both and, it's either or. And Jesus gives them a reward at the end of it all. He gives them a reward in the morning star. This is a, a term that would identify Jesus. Woo! He's saying, if you remain faithful to me, I will give you me. I will give you this, everything. If you remain faithful and hold true, I will give you me, myself. And the beauty of that. Here's what this letter has spoken to me. It turns out that Jesus really, really cares what we are being formed by. It turns out Jesus really cares that our lives are marked by sexual purity, by radical generosity, and by humble servanthood. It's very evident to me that Jesus cares. He cares about your heart. He doesn't just care about the external. He cares about the internal. So stop tolerating. We have to stop tolerating the sexual sin, the immorality, the brokenness of our world that leads to ultimately a spiritual death. He has given us time, but time will run out. So what's stopping us? What's stopping you? What's stopping me from stopping right here, right now and receiving his grace and his love? Outwardly, it looks okay. We can tolerate it. The question is, is will that decision come back to bite me later? And the reality is that's the same question the church is asking. It's just a little aftertaste. Um, tolerating it. It's okay. It looks okay, so it must be okay. I'd love to tell you that this is a a book that like, or a letter that really doesn't have much meaning, but for me, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful personally that God cared so deeply for me and my family when it comes to this topic. When my heart was wandering, when my heart was leaving and running so far from him, I'm glad that God cared deeply for me. Because here's my reality. I'm sure most of us have probably heard or felt the tension of like the church talking about sexual sins before. And if we're being honest, it makes us uncomfortable. Especially when there's this hot topic debate of, I'm just going to say it, sexuality. Entire tire talks about that. Stop permitting it, stop allowing it. 
Stop tolerating that. For me, I'm glad that God loved me enough to work in and through the broken sexuality in my personal family. When my parents were divorcing, my dad came out of the closet. As a young teenager, I had to figure out what that looked like for me. A father who is a homosexual and it doesn't align with what Jesus has spoken and given us in his word. That lifestyle doesn't allow with God's word. It does not align with it. And so for me, I had this tension as a young teenager of what does that look like and mean for me? So as I'm battling that with my father and the brokenness of sexuality with him, it, it made me and started a spiral, a broken spiral, deep into a certain addiction of pornography. Where I almost had this urge to overcompensate and become the manliest man I could be. To feel and fill my life with this broken addiction that momentarily looked okay. Culturally, it was fine. It's not that big of a deal. And I felt fine. I felt good. It was fulfilling a self-need. But it was destroying, rapidly destroying what God had designed in his plan. It's been 16 years and I still can remember the night like it was the last night of the conversation with my father. I can remember the emotions. I can remember the brokenness, the confusion, the shame, the guilt I felt because I didn't know how to walk in that. It's been 16 years. And of those 16 years, I got to be honest with you, my relationship with my father is really really broken. It's been years since I've honestly had a conversation with him. The most conversation I have with him is maybe a text message once a year of, hey, what's your address so I can send you a Christmas card? Brokenness. Because of sexual sin. But here's what's so hard and interesting all at the same time. In the midst of all of that, I'm doing my best to try and learn what it looks like to love like Jesus in all of this. Trying to learn what it looks like for me to love my Father like my Heavenly Father loves me. <laughs> and this maybe is the least pastoral thing I might ever say. I mess up a lot. I have no idea what I'm doing a lot. I, there are days where if I'm going to be flat out honest with you, I don't even know where to start. This sin, this sin has radically broken my family. This brokenness has radically shaken my family to the core. 
I don't see half of my extended family because of this sin. Because I had to decide, and I decided for myself, that I'm, I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm going to love, but I'm going to speak, and I'm going to hold true to what I know God has said in this book. And some of my family wants to tolerate it, because tolerance equals love. But for me, I don't believe Jesus tolerates sin. I believe Jesus looks at sin and says, I love you. Yes, I love you exactly where you are. But there's nowhere where I saw Jesus look at a sinner when he was here on this earth and say, oh, I love you exactly where you are and exactly how you are. Pats him on the head and leaves. I've always seen Jesus encounter sinners and, and sometimes he gets down on their level, and that might mean we crouch a little bit. He crouches and he looks at us, even in the brokenness, in the sinfulness, in the shame, in the guilt. And he says, I love you exactly where you are, but if you know me, you don't have to stay there. Get up. Take your shame, take your sin, take your guilt, take your brokenness, and get up. And come with me. Jesus doesn't leave us there. And I think that's what he's getting at here. He doesn't leave us there. At all. And so when we tolerate sexual sin, we're committing spiritual adultery. I don't want to cheat on Jesus. I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that you're in the same boat as me. I don't want to cheat on Jesus because he has loved me more deeply and passionately and intimately than anybody else I've ever felt in my life. I don't want to cheat on him. And essentially at this book, in this book, Jesus asks a simple question. Is Jesus or Jezebel? Is Jesus or Jezebel? It's Jesus or your addiction for our lives. It's Jesus or your sexual desires. It's Jesus or your idol of money. It's Jesus or your sinful desires. It's Jesus or Jezebel. But you can't have both. So for maybe us today in this next song of reflection, maybe for some of us we need to just sit we need to ask God, what have I been tolerating and allowing in me that you've never, ever called me to let me put in my body or my heart or my mind? What are the things that I'm allowing myself to put in myself and the world to put in me that was never designed to be in me? And what are we as the church, capital C church, allowing in us that was never designed to be in us? And for some of us, that might mean repentance right now. A moment where we repent and turn back to God. For some of us, that might mean God, make it very evident to me what I am allowing in and then repentance. And for others of us, it might mean we've been the ones who have stayed the course. And praise be to God for that. 
And we can worship God for that. So maybe that's what you get to do. You get to praise God. Thank you for giving me the courage, the endurance, the strength to stay the course. I worship you for that. Whatever it is, however you need to worship and pray and praise this morning in this next song, I invite you to do that during this song. Father, would you just continue to move? Father, would you continue to stir, continue to speak to us, Lord? I pray during this next song that you would make it so clear that the things of this world we do not need, but we only need you. We long for you, Lord. We long for more of you. We praise in your name. Amen.